Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Thinking about summertime, that psychologists say people are just happier in the summer. I notice that because my counseling appointments go down. Um, people don't want to meet with me as often in the summer. Uh, and so there is something to it. They say it has to do with like sun, like you're getting more vitamin D, sun, you know, different, different little chemicals in your body going off. Uh, also just being outdoors, like you're doing more uh, outdoor activities. Maybe even your exercise is more outdoors. Yeah. Maybe you do get that vacation in. There's all kinds of reasons. You know what the other reason was? This is weird. This is, this is what makes my wife happy is apparently during the summer, you're able to get fresh vegetables. Like they're more readily available to get fresh vegetables and by eating better, you are, you are happier. It's anyway, summertime is a happy time, but Jesus actually, I think, gives you a blueprint for how to hopefully maintain and sustain ongoing deep satisfaction, joy, contentment, and this thing that we call happiness. Because he starts, the most famous sermon he ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts with a poem on happiness, literally how to be happy. And this is the thing that I notice so much about Americans right here, right now in the 21st century is, is that we struggle with happiness. Like we are one of, on, on certain measurements, we're one of the unhappier countries in the world, yet we're the most advanced. Like we are the, we have the highest level of antidepressants. Like we're popping pills like crazy because we can't find true happiness. Like some, something is amiss, something is wrong. And Jesus shows you the blueprint for how to actually be happy because normally, and I think we'll discover this today, we keep pursuing things that don't really make us happy. We think they'll make us happy. But it's almost like chasing a rainbow and realizing there is no pot of gold at the end. And now we're disappointed. Hope deferred sickens the heart. We're, we're climbing these ladders, realizing that they're leaned up against the wrong building. It's not, it's not working. Can I get a what, what, and an amen? It's not. Whatever we're doing, it ain't working. So Jesus gives us a blueprint for how to actually be happy. And this is how the poem goes. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, everybody say Blessed. Now, we use that fancy word, but that was literally the same word that they would have used as the word happy. So blessed, or how happy, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this on week one. It doesn't say blessed are the poor. God's not trying to get you broke, because some broke people are unhappy. But some rich people unhappy too. The idea is not to be rich or poor. The idea is to be poor in spirit or to be humble. And so he was saying was this, is that you will be happier in life if you learn to humbly depend on God. And when you start your life and your day out recognizing, I don't have what it takes, but God, you do. And I need to humbly depend on you. You walk through this life with less stress. And you avoid loneliness because you recognize God is with me and God's going to take care of me and God's in control and I've got to trust him. And so it just relieves the burdens of life and allows you to actually discover happiness. This is a weird one too. We haven't talked about this one. Maybe I'll come back to it. But blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. How counterintuitive is that? It's like, yeah, you'll be happy if you cry. Um, you'll be happy if you, maybe it's this, maybe it's you'll actually be happy if you learn how to like let go. Like maybe you need to learn to mourn, learn to grieve so that you can heal and let go and actually move forward. Maybe we'll come back. Blessed are the meek. We talked about this one. Blessed are the meek. The idea of meekness is this. It's the idea of a bodybuilder holding a kitten. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the idea of, no, I have all the strength in the world, but I know how to live in self-control and self-discipline. Because when you don't, you end up creating chaos all around your life. And that chaos, 
Well, that makes you unhappy. But let's keep going. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We're just going to fly through the rest of these. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eight keys, really. Eight kind of components to this blueprint. And none of them make sense because if, if you came to talk to most people, they'd be like, well, if you had some more money, you'd be happier. If your wife was hotter, you'd be happier. If your husband was uh, was kinder, you'd be happier. You know what I mean? If you drove this car, lived in this neighborhood, maybe you'd be happier. But here's the deal. It's not true. It's a mirage. Because we know people that traded in their old wife for an upgrade and they're still just as unhappy. We know people that live up up in the hill and th- they're not happy either. As a matter of fact, the people living there are some of the ones that are popping the most amount of pills. The, the things that we think make us happy actually don't. Jesus gives us a real blueprint. So know this, that maybe I don't know what actually makes me happy, but I bet God actually knows what makes me happy. And so let's go back to verse six real quick here, because this is one we want to focus on today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Have you ever, I think this is a human quality. We've all done this, right? Have you ever gone to the refrigerator opened the door and been hungry and yet nothing looked good. You ever been there before? You're just like looking and you're like so hungry and you know you want something, but you can't figure out what that something is or you don't have that something in front of you. And so you just stare at that refrigerator, right? Knowing that, man, there's just something about it. I am so hungry. So Jesus uses this metaphor about hungry and and thirsty and he attaches it to something very almost religious sounding or spiritual he attaches it this idea called righteousness and so here's what we want to dive in today what is it that actually will make me happy in life and he says this he goes you'll be happy if you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and if you find it you won't be staring at a refrigerator you'll actually feel satisfied. Now again, let's dive in real quick here because I need to unpack one idea, which is righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. You got to figure out what that is, right? So if he says to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you actually have to know what that is or you don't, you know, again, you'll be looking at the refrigerator thinking, I know I need something. I just don't know what it is. And it's not kale chips. So, so here's the thing. This idea called righteousness. Everybody say it one more time. Everybody say righteous. Remember the righteous brothers? That's not what we're talking about here. The righteousness, it it has one of those, it's almost like an overstuffed suitcase. It's a word that they packed tons and tons and tons of meaning into. And so depending on where you might find this word in scripture, it could mean all kinds of different things. But in the New Testament, it typically falls into two main definitions or two main categories. It would be considered a position, and then it would also be considered a practice. Okay, so let me make sense of that. So what is righteousness? Number one is this, it's a position. It means I'm in right standing with God. So they would talk about it. Well, listen to this one. This is, this is second Corinthians 521. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God. So it's like, it's like a position. It's like a title. It's like a place. It's this new, uh, you know, in essence, it's, it's this new, um, how do you, how would you say it? It's just this new placeholder in life. It's like, hey, if, 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 if you're standing before God, he goes, no, you're righteous. This is that new position you hold. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Jesus did it for you, but you have this new position, this new placeholder in life. You are righteous. 
Now, the second way that it's referred to is, is that it's not just a position, it's a practice, meaning like it's something that you do, or we would say like this, it's actually living and walking in God's ways. So again, the New Testament's throwing around this word, is saying, hey, you've got this new position in life that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, but you got it, and so now you have this new, righteousness in some ways means right standing with God. But now, in this idea, it means, no, a righteous living, how I am living rightly before God. So let me, this is, again, we talk about how the, the New Testament authors talk about it. First John 3, 7 says this, little children, let no one deceive you. He who what? Practices righteousness is righteous just as he, Jesus, is righteous. And so you gotta, you gotta admit, okay, Jesus has done something for me, and now I've, I've got this new title, this new position, this new placeholder in life, but also it's something that I do. Like, I need to practice right living. There is a way that leads to abundant life. Does that make sense? There is a way that honors God. There is a way of wisdom that actually produces the best life possible. That's righteous living. And anytime I am dishonoring God or disobeying God or living foolishly, I'm walking in unrighteousness. So, it, or, or Solomon said it like this, Proverbs twelve twenty eight: in the way of righteousness, there is life. And along that is the path to immortality. She said, no, there's a way to live life. There's a righteous path. And every time, here's what you need to know. God, in all of his wisdom, when he gives these commands, they are not these kind of arbitrary things that he threw out there to see if you'd be a good person or not, or see if you were a rule keeper or not. Most of you aren't. There's like five of you, maybe, that are good rule keepers. The rest of you stink, right? So God didn't make up these rules to see if you'd be good or bad, to be a rule follower or not. God gave you these these commands the same way that a parent would give commands to their children. Because if you're a father or a mother and you love your kids, you give them commands, right? Like, hey, learn how to share. You'll be happier in life. Hey, don't run with scissors. Don't stick your finger in that light socket. Don't run in traffic. It's, it's not that like scissors are evil, Right? It's the dumb things that we decide to do with scissors, right? So God's saying, no, no, there's a way that leads to an abundant life. Ultimately, when you look at all the commands, all the do's or all the don'ts, see them through the lens of what would a loving parent be actually telling his children? What would a loving be parent trying to communicate? He'd be trying to set them up for the best life possible. And so God's ways are the ways of wisdom and they're the path to righteousness. And so here, let me give you three big ideas on righteousness because I think I really want to nail this down. Number one is this, is I can't make myself righteous, right? Like ultimately that position of being right with God, because here's the deal, even if you kept all the rules, because you can't, it wouldn't even matter. There's still something inherently broken in you. Listen to what Romans says in Romans 3.20. No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands, because you're not keeping all those rules anyway, I promise you. No matter how good you are, you're breaking something. So like being right with God, it's not about being the greatest rule keeper in the world. Because the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we can't keep it. Don't you feel better about yourself just for a moment right now? You're like, whew, thank goodness. And I really thought I was failing. No, we, that's not the point. The, the point of God's commands are to put you on a path towards righteousness, to a path towards wisdom, to a path towards knowing God. That was the point. But they don't make you righteous with God because only Jesus can make me righteous. That's number two. Only Jesus can do that. This is what it says in Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace 
freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people who are made right with God, they're made right when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. Which leads you to this right here. So number one, I can't make myself righteous. Only Jesus can make me righteous. All I can do is accept by faith what Christ did for me. That's it. So if you ever want to know how to be right, like pe- people that are in right standing with God, this is the problem with, 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 I think, people looking at the church saying, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Of course it is. We're all broken. We're all flawed. We're all dysfunctional. Some more than others. Some hide it better than others. We're all jacked up. The only way we are made righteous is not by how unjacked we are or undysfunctional we are. We are made righteous by what Jesus has done for us. And now because of what Jesus has done for us, I want to respond to that by saying, God, how can I live a life then? Walking with you, walking in your wisdom, walking in your ways. That's the response. And so that's really what righteousness is. I can't make myself righteous. Jesus does that for me. This is, by the way, what we call the gospel. Not talking about like a certain style of music. The gospel is a word that they use just called good news. Like the good news is this. God has done for you what you could not do for yourself. Jesus has come. He has won. He has conquered. He has forgiven. He has freed. Just step into that. That's the great news. You can't do it for yourself. It's not even about you. It is about Jesus and what he has done for you. And that's some really good news. I don't have to do this on my own. Nope. That's the good news. So now, now that we figured out what righteousness is, let's go back. Because Jesus uses a metaphor for how to think about righteousness. And he uses the ideas of hunger. Everybody say hunger. Everybody say thirst. Right? So in the words of the most interesting man who ever lived, stay thirsty. That's what he's saying. Hunger and thirst. Stay thirsty, my friends. Like, stay hungry for righteousness. Because if you do, you will actually be satisfied in life. This thing called righteousness, my right standing with God, but also walking in God's wisdom and in God's ways. And so here's the idea behind hunger. This is, this probably leads me to the idea of the most important or one of the more important principles I've ever discovered in life. I call it the hunger principle. The hunger principle in essence is this. I hunger for what I eat. I hunger for what I eat. Now, let me, let me make some sense of that. When I was a young man, before I met my wife, I used to wake up every morning and I'd go to Starbucks and I'd get myself a latte. Do you remember what kind? Yeah, thank you. Uh, but I didn't get one this morning. Just, I'm messing with y'all. A few weeks ago, I let you know what my favorite Starbucks drink was. It's a grande caramel latte with whipped cream. I just threw that out there and no one's really responded summertime people are not on their game so so anyway so i would go to breakfast and get a starbucks latte and then at lunch i would go get some type of fast food it would be taco bell or burger king or like you name it and and you know what i'm a i'm a creature of habit i don't know if you're like this but i get the same thing every time i go to a place, right? So I could have just said, hey, I like a number three, no onion, no tomato, like boo, boo, boo. I don't have to think about it. So if you just said, hey, I'm going to run over to Taco Bell and get us lunch, I could say, oh yeah, just good to me, number three, no onion, no tomato. Or wh- whatever it was, you know, like I had it just down because when you're 20 and you don't know how to cook and you don't have a place to live really, you know, I was borderline homeless. Um, I, so here's what I did. When I was 20 years old, I was working at a church and I think I made 250 bucks a month. Or was it just 200? It was something like, it was bad. So I, 
so I worked on the weekends to, to like make a little extra money, but you know, I, so this is what I did. I paid these two guys in the church who had their own apartment. I paid them a hundred bucks so I could sleep on their couch. And then I had the coat closet. That's all I had. So all of my belongings fit in a coat closet, right? So I didn't have a home. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have anything. And when you're 20, what do you do? Well, you just survive, right? And I didn't know any better. I thought this was, I was perfectly happy just so you know. I was probably going to die at age 40, but I was perfectly happy at the moment, right? So, so anyway, so I go to lunch and get fast food. And then for dinner, you know what I go eat too? I go eat more fast food because I didn't have a kitchen. I didn't have groceries. I didn't have food. I didn't have any of that stuff. And so all I did was eat fast food and Starbucks. That's all I ate. So I then introduced my wife. And if you know anything about my wife, she's, she's a very clean eater. She's very healthy. She's kosher, likes a lot of organic things. And so she's looking at my diet thinking, I won't marry you unless I can change your diet. Cause if not, you're going to die at 40, right? Which is probably true. Like your arteries, you know, choked out. So, so anyway, she starts introducing me to these new foods, which are gross, <laughs> like vegetables, gross fruits eat a fruit like fruity flavored gummy bears like fruit but not like fruit fruit and she starts introducing me to and at first i like think they're kind of gross and deep in my being i am longing for what for fast food I, i'm like man i'm like thinking about it i'm like dreaming about it. i'm like man i really want some fast food right and, and again at the time i don't even know what i was eating this is this is a long time ago obviously but like i remember longing for and having a literal like hunger for fast food well after a while of being with my wife and actually like getting healthy and working out and being you know again just eating a different diet i actually found myself to a point where when i thought about fast food i thought oh my gosh that is so disgusting it's not even real meat it's like meat substance. Like it's like, that's a thing, right? Like that's not even real food anymore. And it began even like they, it, when I was forced to, cause I was maybe traveling or something. And I'd be forced to eat something be like, Oh my gosh, my stomach's like this grease pit. And I'm like, it's so disgusting. It's so gross. And so what my, what my wife had done is my wife had changed my hunger because you hunger for what you eat. So when you constantly consume a certain type of food, you will eventually create a craving for that food. But you have the ability to control that. You have the ability to change that. If you just start eating different foods, you will eventually begin to long for those foods. I remember being a young man, and I remember hanging out with my pastor, and he was eating like just plain old tomato and like mozzarella and some like, you know, what some green leafy thing on top of it. Anyway, like, and he's just eating it. I'm like, I didn't want to be rude. I'm like, is, is that good to you? Is that like, t-? he goes, oh my gosh, it's delicious. I'd be like, he goes, you don't like this? I'm like, no, 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 no. He goes, don't worry. You'll like it soon. You'll like it when you get older. I promised your taste buds change. And it's true. I eat all kinds of stuff now that I would have never eaten before. I eat all kinds of fruits and vegetables and enjoy them. And so here, here's what I'm telling you. This is not a lesson. Just forget everything I said about food because I'm going to apply it now to what I really want to talk about. I don't care how you eat. I really don't. I care that you hunger and thirst for righteousness. The reason why many of us don't hunger and thirst for righteousness or don't long for the things of God is because we hunger for what we eat on. Watch this. As a matter of fact, this, listen to this. There's a scripture that, that backs up this hunger principle, and it's found in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 7 says this. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. 
I need you to think about that. The satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Now, to them, honeycomb was like dessert, right? So, like, think about your favorite dessert. Like, I'm a cheesecake guy. Like, I love cheesecake. And, like, can you imagine, though, because sometimes we do this. Sometimes, you know, when Thanksgiving dinner comes around, you have to undo the top button. Or, you know what I mean? You have to do some stretching just to prepare yourself. You know, whatever it is, you, you eat all this food and you stuff yourself at Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden, somebody brings out the honeycomb. Somebody brings out the cheesecake. Somebody brings out, you know, mama's apple pie a la mode. And then all of a sudden, you're like, have you ever gotten so full? That the thought of food was gross. That's what he's saying. He said, sometimes you can be so full that even when somebody brings the honeycomb around, you're like, ugh, I don't even want any. But yet the opposite is true. When you're starving, I mean, a saltine is like a filet mignon. You're like, mm, that's so good. That's so good. It's so good. Why? Because you're starving. The hunger principle says that I hunger for what I eat. But there's also a principle that says, if I'm so full, I don't even actually end up wanting that which is the best. This is the problem with 21st century American Christian culture. We're full. We are already satisfied. We live in a time and an era that is so unlike any other time in all of human history. We have more at our fingertips and more at our disposal than any generation that has ever touched planet Earth. We have more. And what we do is, is we keep eating and we keep consuming. We keep just taking it all in. And by the time the honeycomb comes around, or I mentioned righteousness or the things of God, you're like, "Eh, I'm really not hungry. I'm kind of full. Here's what we're full on. Um, Real Housewives. Any reality TV. Bachelor, Bachelorette, doesn't even matter. Uh, Netflix binging. Can I get an amen? What, what? Nope. Uh, 24-hour news cycle. Some of y'all are addicted to the 24-hour news cycle. Um, endless scrolling of social media. You just do this. Every time there's a break, every time there's a pause, every time there's a moment. If you got downtime, I'm bored. My brain is bored. So what am I? I'm just doing this. I'm doing this. Doing this. So I'm just scrolling. Uh, sports. There's literally networks dedicated to 24-hour sports around the clock. There are weird sports that we don't even care about, but bless God, if we are bored, we will throw it on and watch it just to take away our boredom. And there are sports... For every single season, just in the Bay Area, man, we've got, we've got two professional baseball teams. We've got the A's. We've got the Giants. We've got two professional football teams. We've got the Raiders. We've got the Niners. We've got the Sharks if you're into hockey, which I don't get that. You're not Canadian. I feel like hockey's for Canadian people and Michigan people. Other than that, hockey. Why? Basketball? The Warriors have been in the finals for four straight years. We have been watching basketball and consuming. And so we're just consuming. Not to mention like travel. Like literally, you can go an hour that way, you're at the beach. You can go an hour that way, you're in the mountains. You can go skiing and go to the beach in the same weekend if you really wanted to. So we are so consumed and surrounded by and stuffed and full on. None of which are bad things. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong or inherently evil about any of those things. The problem is, is that we keep consuming them and consuming them and consuming them. And then all of a sudden, when it comes to the things of God, we're like, eh, I'm full. Eh, worship, eh, taught sermon, eh, that's a B minus. You know, like, eh, I know how you are. So, so the point is, is that you have to be careful. Jesus is saying that if you actually, if you wonder why you're not happy in life, it's because you're full, but not satisfied. 
There's this incredible story of, there's a guy named Richard Burke and William Willis, who, or William Wills, who were explorers back in the 1800s. They actually did an expedition through Australia. And their job was is to plot a course from South Australia to Northern Australia. And they wanted to be able to like explore, figure out what was out there. No, no uh, white people, Europeans had ever been in there. Only the Aborigines had ever been in there. And so they, they basically put together the money, the team, the, the wagons and the food and all this stuff. And so they, and it's, it's horrible. It's like a terrible, rough adventure for them to be on. And so like the, the, the wagons are breaking down and the food supply is running short and they weren't fully prepared. And so, but they had some Aborigines with them and the Aborigines, what they did was, they knew how to live in, the, in this, you know, this remote desert wasteland, bare, I mean, just tough environment. They knew how to live out there. And so they had a plant called the Nardu plant. And this plant was something that the Aborigines knew how to cook and prepare. And it was, it was perfectly fine and nutritious and you could live off of it. Well, the problem was is that Burke and Wills eventually hacked off the Aborigines. And they made a mad, and they're like, well, fine, we'll leave then. So then all of a sudden, Burke and Wills and their team of 19 people are, are left without any food. Well, they'd seen these aborigines cook this nardu plant. Well, the nardu plant, there's something interesting in it because there's these spores inside of it. And these spores, if you don't cook it properly, um, they actually kind of end up poisoning the food, and they deplete you of all your vitamin resources. And there's nothing no longer nutritious in the food either. But they don't know that because they hacked off the wrong people. The Aborigines had always cooked it and prepared it for them, but now that they're preparing it, they don't know how to cook it properly and to take out the spores and to do whatever, so they keep eating. And all of them except for one end up dying of starvation, but their bellies were completely full. They kept eating, thinking, I know I'm starving, I know I'm hungry, I know I need more. And they just kept eating more, not realizing that they had brought on a disease called beriberi, which is basically where your body is completely deficient of vitamins. That is who we are now. We are a society that is starving, yet our stomachs are completely filled. Like we are consuming more and more and constant and constant and on and on. Again, none of which are inherently evil, none of which are inherently bad, but we keep consuming, consuming, and we get to a point where like we come to the things of God when it comes to hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We're like, eh, I'm full. I don't even want the honeycomb anymore. I don't, I don't even want it anymore. And Jesus is giving us this incredible blueprint to happiness. He goes, your problem is, is you're hungry and you're thirsty for all the wrong things. You have to actually hunger and thirst after righteousness. And if you hunger and thirst after that, you will actually be satisfied. You ready? If you, if you're taking notes, you're going to love this. A few quick things on how to stay hungry. How to stay hungry. Number one is this. You need a revelation of the love of God. The love of God drives everything. Like, it is the very nature of who God is. God is love. It is the most important virtue in all of life. Paul said as much. He said the greatest virtues in life are faith, open love, but the greatest one is love. You cannot escape this. You have to get a revelation of who God is, that God is love. I'll prove it to you. Watch this. Ephesians 3.18 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Like, you need to know. You have never come to the end of God's love. You have never experienced it all. You've never figured it all. I'm telling you, it's deep. It's wide. It's every, it's everywhere. You need to understand that. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to even fully understand. Then, everybody say then. Then, then, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power 
that comes from God. A revelation of the love of God drives everything. It drives really the foundation for, for why we want to be righteous, for why we want to walk in righteous way. It drives everything. Number two is this. Uh, number two, stop eating Taco Bell. Like at some point, if you want to stay hungry for God, you've got to say no to something else. Actually allow your stomach to get empty. Actually create a longing in your heart. And this is why the principle of fasting is so important. Because sometimes we actually uh, fast from food, not fast food. We fast from food for spiritual purposes. But also when we do our fast every year, have you ever noticed I always tell you, hey, you need to do a soul fast. Remember the satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. You need to do a soul fast. What do I constantly consume on that leaves me so full that I don't want? And we're consuming on garbage. Listen to what, I love this. Solomon says it's so brutal sometimes. Like, I don't even have to say it. Look at this. A wise person is hungry for truth, but the fool feeds on trash. Yeah, so it's just like, there's something that we need to be aware of. Is there anything in my life that is garbage. Is there anything that my life, it's not meat, it's meat substance. You know, it's not good. It's not healthy. There's nothing nutritious in it. I'm just consuming garbage. Take inventory of your life. Is there something stupid in my life? Is there something foolish in my life? Is there something that would be trash in my life? And I'm just consuming it. It's Maybe we call it our guilty pleasure. Number three is this, prioritize what matters most. Again, the hunger principle says that I actually will eventually hunger for what I feed on. You will need to go through a time period where not only do you cut out Taco Bell, but you say, hey, you know what? I need to actually prioritize the right things in, in my life or the righteous things in my life. I need to prioritize those and make those who I am and part of my routine and a part of my habits and part of my trajectory so that, guess what? Eventually I get down the road and I'm like, I'm so painfully aware if I've missed it or if I'm off or if I'm longing for it, I know where to go because I've been prioritizing the things of God and now I actually long for the things of God. Listen to this. Psalm 63, 1. You, God, are my God and earnestly I will seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. And in a dry and parched land or in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David was saying the same thing. He said, I think the difference between David and us is, is that he was actually in a barren land. <laughs> We're in a land that is barren for our souls. And he was saying, I have to learn to seek you. This idea, everybody say seek. This is this, this is the idea that the New Testament uses. Uh, Jesus uses the same idea. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I mean, Jesus is saying the same thing. Watch this. Number four is this. Number four, see scripture as food. That sounds weird, but you, you have to recognize that the biblical authors use the idea of scripture as, as, as food. It's used a few different ways. So like recognizing, you know what the scriptures do is they become a source of soul food. Like that's where I feed my soul. Listen to this. Matthew chapter four, where Jesus was being tempted, he actually responded with, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was sitting there just saying, hey, look, 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 look. I know I could turn the rock into bread and have a Sammy or do what I, I know. I get it. That's not the point. The point is, is that you could have a sandwich, but be starving in your soul. And Jesus knew better. Jesus knew that it was the words of God that you could actually feast on. Number five is this association drives appetite. This is so true because, you know, if you've ever been around kids, this is obnoxious, isn't it? Kids all of a sudden like, I'm hungry. And what does the next kid next to him say? I'm hungry too. No, you're not. Shut up. You're not hungry. You just said that because Billy said it. Stop it. You know, that's what you really want to say. So you just know like hunger and appetite and association, they all go to, we, we know this too. If I had some peeps that were like into sushi, 
and I'm not a sushi guy. I'd never been into sushi because in the South, you don't have sushi. There's no sushi in the South. I don't know why. We have barbecue. We don't have sushi. He's like, dude, I got to introduce you to sushi. And I went out and started eating sushi. I mean, there's a boat coming by and a train. And I'm just pulling stuff off a little floating boat thing. And I'm like, this is really good. I would have never eaten sushi on my own. And you think I'd ever just showed up to a sushi place and just started eating weird. I mean, that's with some weird food in there. You have to see other people eat it. Because you're like, that's just the way food is, right? Like if you've never seen it before, it just kind of looks weird. But if you see other people sticking it in their mouth and they're not dying and they like it, you just try it. Here's another way we know this is true. Have you ever gotten around somebody like I could, I could like, hey, can you picture like Cinnabon? Like in like, oh my gosh, with the cinnamon and the sugar and the, you know, the butter's melting off of it. All of a sudden somebody starts talking about food and you're like, oh, you can taste it in your mouth. Why? Association drives appetite. Let me, here's the spiritual principle. If you hang out with other people that hunger and thirst for righteousness, you are more likely to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Association drives it. If you hang out with other people who consume their lives with garbage and trash, you will more than likely consume garbage and trash. Association drives it. So who are you with? Here's the last one. And ultimately it's just this. At the end of the day, it's walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus is how I stay satisfied. It's how I stay happy. It's how I stay content. It's how I stay full. It's just walking with Jesus. Well, this is what he said. He not only are the words of God described as, as a source of food, Jesus, it's just me. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Again, this was a metaphor for the satisfaction of your soul. Jesus is saying all the stuff that you got in this life and in this culture, it won't satisfy. They were living before electricity. They didn't have television. They didn't have social media. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have an endless supply of YouTube videos that constantly lead to other recommended YouTube videos. They had none of that stuff. I don't even know what, Je- I don't even know who Jesus is talking to. Like, what did they even have to consume their lives on? I don't even know. I look at their lives and I think how bored they would have been. But then I think about us and I think, hmm, actually we are the people who are maybe starving with full stomachs. Walking with Jesus. Now there's another way. We'll close here. The worship team will come on out here. There's another way that Jesus refers to this idea of food. It's the idea of communion. There's this idea of saying, you know what? Not only will I hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, and, and wanting to live in God's wisdom and God's ways, not only what, but, but there's a sense of walking with Jesus and communing with Jesus that satisfies me. And one of the ways that we do that is Jesus left us a, a incredible tradition called communion. And he said, he, there's only two things he told us to do. Like there's all kinds of stuff that, that could be traditions or there's only two. He said, I need you to do this forever. I need you to be baptized when you put your faith in me because it, it, it connects you to my resurrection. But you know what I also want you to do when you gather? I want you to take communion and I want you to connect with me in my death. And so through communion, the Bible gives us this picture. And so, you know what, ushers, if you could go ahead and let's pass out the elements. We're going to receive communion today. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at mbchurch.tv.